Hello there, it's Ian Whitworth from the Motivation for Skeptics website. This week, a turning point in tech's war on realness. You might have seen the movie Yesterday, in which battling muso Jack Malik rises to global fame because he's in a world where the Beatles never existed, yet he can remember their tunes. He spends a lot of time googling Beatles stuff. Nothing. The world at the moment feels a lot like that movie, except that instead of the Beatles not existing, it's sport. When entire chunks of life that people take for granted just disappear, you learn interesting things. Now we'll find out if sport is necessary. And in what form. I'm not much of a sport watcher, but I'm a big Formula 1 fan, as much for its complex layers of business intrigue as the actual races. Many of the drivers are now racing in electronic form, and the visuals are amazing, nearly indistinguishable from the real thing. Could they just save a ton of money, travel, and city disruption by just moving the whole sport online permanently, as part of our ongoing evolution toward humans just sitting in the one place their entire life, wired up to their choice of digital stimulus, being fed through tubes? God, I really hope not. Esports are a crap spectator experience, and we know it at an instinctive level. And yeah, sure, I know the massive numbers on Twitch and those things, but any activity that only involves rapid finger movement is no more of a sport than piano concerts. There's nothing at stake when digital competitors push to the limits. Unless you're male and 14, it's hard to care about someone sitting in a chair, staring down the worst-case scenario of, I don't know, having to reboot their console. In actual Formula 1, crashes have serious implications, and our primitive brains crave that sort of danger, even if it's being braved by others. In business and elsewhere, it's risky to disregard that primitive brain. I did an interview with mixed martial arts World Cup winner, cancer survivor, and pro public speaker Nadine Champion last week. That is her real name. We discussed how she first came to speaking. It was when she got up in front of two and a half thousand people at the Sydney Opera House to do a TEDx talk. She was coming out of her cancer treatment and was so weak she couldn't open a water bottle. At the end, to see if she still had the old martial arts skills, she broke a wooden board in half. It was an incredibly emotional speech. There's a link to the video on the page. She's fully in tears by the end. I was in tears because the front three rows of the audience were all in tears, she said. After the interview, we sat in the empty studio and spoke of the blank stare, soul-crushing feeling of talking to a camera rather than an audience. It sucks more than watching esports. You get nothing back. So your presentation is pretty lame, no matter how much effort and energy you think you're putting in. Your pauses are the wrong length. You don't move your head around or smile as much. All these things are organic reactions to faces in the audience. And afterwards, my god, you miss the post-mortem. You finish the presentation, and you're on an adrenaline high. You want feedback on how it went. You want to chat to audience members. You want people to come up to you and say, That was a good talk. None of that for you in 2020. You get teleported straight back to digital outer Siberia with Zoom's blank white screen that says the host has ended the meeting. You get up, put the kettle on, and check your emails like an absolute loser who has no friends at all. Like none of it ever happened. Turns out, that live audience is a massive part of your performance, even if they're silent. 
Yet, any tech executive will tell you digital meetings are a 100% effective replacement for being there in person. And yes, for everyday catch-ups, they're fine. Partly because those everyday meetings were never such a great experience anyway. And that's why the Zoom 40-minute time limit is probably its best feature. But when you have to inspire people, virtual meetings are crap. When you have to create a lasting impression, they're crap. For establishing trust, yep, crap. For reasons that are invisible to people who spend their days thinking about code. Almost every disruptive tech idea of the last decade is based on the idea that the human touch is a dispensable waste of time and money. Obviously, lots of them are good ideas bringing convenience unimaginable 10 years ago, but their overall effect has been to turn a lot of businesses into vending machines with a correspondingly brutal lack of customer loyalty. Now we're finding out what near-zero human touch feels like, and as a species, we're freaking out. And it's still early days. So here's something to think about while you've got some time. Treat this lockdown as a grand experiment that lets you discover what's really important to your customers and staff. Things people only realise they miss when they're gone. So you can focus on those things and deliver more of them when things open up again. I'm not saying ignore tech, quite the opposite. But it's important to understand how people actually behave and build your tech around that. And use the human touch to make the experience better so the customer feels that you're the only ones who get it. Consider Apple. Sure, their products are nice, but so much of that loyalty comes from their massive investment in all those stores full of helpful people. Primitive brain goes, when I buy a tech thing and I can't get it working, Apple will always be there to help me out. Consider why people are actually buying your product. Is the real benefit of your cafe that you only do espresso or regular milk? So all your customers sit around feeling like cool members of the purest coffee gang. And they casually name check your cafe in conversations all day because it's a badge of honour for them. Is the main benefit of your small business, not price, location, product range or whatever, but just the comfortable customer feeling of knowing they can call you personally to resolve issues and frustrations rather than go on a phone queue for the rest of the day? Do people like your business because they're lazy and you have the commercial sense to help them be lazy, while also having the good manners to never let on, you know how lazy they are. So they can schedule a 2pm Friday meeting at your office, which is, conveniently, not far from their house. And it'd be kind of pointless to go all the way back to the office now, wouldn't it? Do people come to your store because they're lonely, and your staff are the only sympathetic ear they have in their lives? Do they come to your store just to get out of the house? That sounds quite exciting at this point. Primitive brain laws apply to staff too. How will this change the way you deal with them? People can work anywhere, but is it possible the real purpose of your office is a place to talk to people face-to-face and get a realistic sense of how they're feeling and what's on their mind? So in 2021, you might stop sending them so many electronic memos from three desks away. There are a lot of assumptions around why people make job choices that simply aren't true, because... People are strange. At least one industry I know offers feudal management techniques and long hours for terrible pay, yet it's strangely sought after. Because it offers a prestige brand on your CV, free drinks, and the opportunity for a lot of casual um, interactions with co-workers. Tough times for them at the moment. 
There'll be a lot of great stuff available when all this is over. Think hard about what it is they really want, and they can be yours. I'm thinking the office Christmas parties this year are going to be the HR department's worst nightmare. Human nature can only be suppressed for so long. Hey, if you're new around here, I write a story like this every Tuesday. Get it in your email inbox. Drop your email address on the subscribe page on the website. See you next week.